Welcome to Encounter. We want nothing more than to help you find and follow Jesus. If you're a college student in Central Illinois, join us Monday nights, ISU's campus. We'd love to see you there. Go ahead and grab a seat, friends. Good to see you. Welcome back. Um, did you get what you wanted for Christmas? No, there's a strong no from somebody out there. I'm sorry you had a bad Christmas. Uh, to reiterate a couple things, because I just I think on the beginning of a of a spring semester, they're good things to reiterate. Uh, you heard um, Josh and Phil talk about this, but um, but man, we have some good things coming up. The Randy Garris, who's coming to our winter retreat, truly is like a, a hero of mine. I, I mean that when it's like I listen, I have listened to his sermons from a distance for many, many, many years. Super wise man. And so he technically is talking about relationships, which makes it sound like a dating retreat. It is not that. Okay. What he's talking about is wholeness. And so whether you're a, a part of a relationship now or not, um, what it means to be emotionally mature and whole is what he'll be coming in and talking about on Feb- in February. I, like, I need it every three or four years, what he comes in and gives. So please don't miss that. Put it on your calendar. Ask off for work. Do the things that you need to do to be there Friday through Sunday. It's going to be so good. Also, let me remind you, because this is for me, but also for you. Every spring semester, it seems just like, you know, extension of the fall semester. We were together in the fall, and then we're together in the spring. You guys, that's not the case. We have people maybe new here tonight who transferred in, or it's just not, it's not the same for them that it is for you. I'm shocked every spring semester by how many new people that we have roll in. Or even for people who just struggled for the fall and over break, they're like, you know what? I need to find Christian community. I need to find a Christian home. And so they wander into our group in the spring. If that's you, welcome. And if that's not you, keep your eyes open for that, okay? Because that's a challenging thing. It's, it takes some courage to walk into a group that's been, been together for a semester and, uh, and to find friends and connect and do all that stuff. So please be welcoming voices. Invite other people in your classes. Uh, into your small groups. It's not unusual in this coming semester in the spring for our small groups to actually be larger than our Monday night, like the number of students who are connected in our small groups. Make that happen. That would be so cool if we have pockets of people connected that way. So just as a reminder, all year this year, um, our, our theme is deep and wide, which is just this idea of loving God and loving people. Jesus' biggest commandment for us. If it's his greatest commandment, we should probably pay attention to it, right? So all year we're just asking this question of what does it mean to lean into these values of loving God and loving people? And tonight, um, I'm a little nervous about tonight. Like not, I'm not nervous to be with you guys, but I'm really excited about the passage that we're going to talk about in Mark 4. It's really near and dear to my heart, and I've been praying that I'll do it justice tonight because there's two There's two things I want to hold in each hand tonight of the the beautiful, organic way that God grows us up in him and just the great mystery that that is, that he's willing to do that and partner with us. And sometimes I think we sacrifice the one for the other. So I've been praying all weekend that that wouldn't be the case tonight. And I know that we've, we've already prayed, but I want to pray us into that space as we start. So would you just pray with me? Uh, Holy Spirit... Um, thank you for who you are and the great mystery of your growth in our lives. Thank you for every story that's represented in this room. Um, what an unbelievable thing that you love each of us enough to meet us where we're at 
coming out of our individual unique pains and the things that we can celebrate and our gifts and our sins, all of it. Jesus, you know us, you love us, you call us your sons and daughters, and I pray that you'd meet us in that beautiful mystery tonight. Amen. Okay, so this question that that I want to try to get at tonight, or the the thing that I want to poke at tonight, is this this thing that I hear among you guys all the time. I hear it in a lot of places, but especially in college students, and that's this phrase, I want to go deeper. I want to go deeper. I want to grow. And you say, okay, well, what does that mean to go deeper? I don't know. I have no idea, but I want to go there. Whatever that is, that's where I want to go. And it's like, I get it. There's this idea that we're on a journey with Christ and that he has places to take us. I'm here to tell you we are going to spend all semester answering that question. What does it mean to go deeper? What does it mean to lean into my relationship with Jesus? What does it mean for me to love him with my whole heart? with my whole strength and my soul and my mind? What does it mean to do that for all of us? And for me, you guys, um, I wanted to throw a verse up on the, the screen because this, this idea of us growing to maturity, of what, it, what does it mean to grow into something different? This verse has always been just, it's like if, if I could grow into something biblical, I want it to be this. And it's this verse that comes in Jeremiah 17. It says this, Blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. I want that so badly, you guys. This picture of strength, this picture of peace, This picture of, like, no anxiety because your roots go down deep to a different kind of source. When the drought comes, the drought can come. It's okay if the drought comes because you know what? You're tapping into different water with those roots. Your leaves stay green. You don't stop producing fruit. Can I tell you this? I'm 48 years old. I gasp, okay? And I've been following Jesus for a really long time, and I don't look like this yet. I like to think I'm growing toward this, but I can't honestly stand up in front of you tonight and be like, check, (laughs) check this off in 2020, and now I'm on to a new and better thing. No, God is growing me toward that, slowly. And every year, he knocks some rough edges off, and he sculpts something new in my life. And I mean, like, you guys, the end of last year, I spent some good time with the Lord of being like, what, God, what is it that you want to do in my life? What is it that you want to do in my marriage? What is it that you want to do with me and my relationship with my kids? How do you want to change me? I have weaknesses and sins and other stuff that still hang around in my life. God, how do you want to grow me? And I got changes I want to make in the coming semester because of that. God, how do you want me to to look more like this? How can you continue to shape me? It's a beautiful thing that it doesn't stop. You know, you're on that journey too. Whether you're brand new to it or not, you're on the same journey that I am of what it means to grow closer to God. And tonight, the text that we're actually going to be in, this this is just preview Bible, okay? The text that we're actually going to be in is Jesus himself talking about Christian maturity, himself talking about what the kingdom of God is like. And so this is our our text that we're in, Mark 4. This is Jesus talking. He said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises day and night, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. 
The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. That's the text. Jesus' view. And there are three things that I want you to notice in this. And I'm going I'm to move through these pretty quickly because I want to spend some time at the, at the end of this talking about uh, one of the particular pieces. But the first thing is, is that it's organic. It's organic. Like Jesus is giving us a visual aid here that we very much understand. It's like a tree. Jesus talked in parables all the time. He used metaphors like to help us understand visual aids. And there's something about the kingdom of heaven being organic. By that, I mean like a tree, like a plant, like a seed. He uses this all throughout Scripture. The the Jeremiah 17 passage I just read, a mature Christian life looks like a tree. And that's almost identical to Psalm 1, probably written by David, who said the exact same thing, like a tree planted by a river. In Mark 4, you guys, just that one chapter in Mark 4, there are three different times that Jesus says, hey, the kingdom of heaven is kind of like this. And he uses seeds and gardening as the metaphor. Why? Because we understand it. I mean, like, I know you're not farmers, most of you, okay? Probably not most of you in the room, but still, you get how plants work. You see them every day. You understand that little trees create, like, little seeds create stalks, which create bigger things, which create trees. You understand this pattern of growth. And there are things Jesus says by looking at the natural world when you look at a garden, that you can just understand about the kingdom of God. You say, Ben, what in the world are you talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. Like, I, again, not a gardener, all right? Ezra and I used to plant a little vegetable garden every year, <laughs> okay? But here's what I know. I know that weeds choke out plants. Like, I, I know that it's not good to let them grow together because if you want to grow peppers, You won't have many peppers if you just let the the weeds grow up and they smother those other plants. And so I look at that, and that's an organic lesson that I understand. I'm like, oh, actually, there are some spiritual truths in there that I really get. I understand that, you know, that in general, they need water. (laughs) Like, there's care and concern. If there is a long drought, I should probably water the garden, or my tomatoes are going to be like that big around instead of, you know, gigantic tomatoes. So even as somebody who doesn't know a ton about gardening, There are all kinds of organic lessons that I can learn. Growth takes time. It doesn't happen all at once. You don't plant your garden and wake up the next morning and walk out and expect it all to just be bearing fruit. And there are spiritual lessons, Jesus is saying, in all of these things for us. But beyond that, also, growth is mysterious. Did you see it in the passage there? It says... Uh, he goes out and he scatters seed. He sleeps and rises and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. There's something that's a little bit mysterious and miraculous about a garden, truly. And you guys, we live in a day and age where we understand genetics and DNA. We understand photosynthesis. Farmers, you guys, I can't even believe what farmers know. They know exactly how much nitrogen. They know exactly how much water. I don't know if you know this, they know the, how, when to plant, not just by like, hey, does the weather look good? The ground has to be a very specific temperature. They know that that seed won't take and germinate until the ground hits a very specific, t- there's all kinds of stuff that they know. It still seems pretty crazy, does it not? That you pop a seed in the ground and then like food comes out. Think about that for a second. If you tried to explain that to someone who had never experienced it before, to be like, wait, you're telling me you take that little thing that looks like a pill and you shove it in the ground 
and an eight-foot-tall plant comes out that produces a thousand of those over again, just out of the ground. I mean, you sound like a crazy person if you tried to explain that to an alien. You'd be like, I don't know. I don't know. It just grows out of the ground. Food. It food just pops out of the ground, even if you don't do anything. Nora came in last fall, and she's like, Dad, there's strawberries in our yard. It's like, what? I mean, we live in, like, little subdivision-y house, right? I'm like, there's strawberries in our yard. I, didn't, I mean, what do you mean? Show me. I assumed somebody, like, drove by and threw a package of strawberries in our yard, and that's what she was talking about. No. In the grass, like, there are all these little viney things with strawberries, little tiny strawberries growing on them in the back. And she's like, I found more in the front. It's like, what? And I go around the front, and there's strawberries growing in our grass, in our lawn, okay? It's mysterious. I don't know how. I don't know if birds. I, I don't know. I don't know how they all got there. I certainly didn't plant them, but there they are. There's, there's a mystery, and there's a mystery to our faith. For all the stuff that we know, there's a mystery of God working in you and bringing faith out of you. And if I try to boil it down to an equation where it's like, oh, 30 minutes of reading your Bible every day, plus 10 minutes of prayer every day, plus 10 minutes of feeding the homeless, plus visiting one person in prison a year, and you are a mature follower of Jesus. It's like, no. No, no, no. Just like if you're in a dating relationship or in my marriage, there's a mystery to my marriage with my wife. There are things that I know and that I can do, but there's also a beautiful mystery there that I don't fully understand that's a gift. That's part of what our relationship with Jesus is. And the last one is, and this might seem to be in conflict with all the things that I just said, but our relationship with Jesus, our, our growth in Christ, it's patterned. And you see that here in the text. You notice it says the earth produces by itself first the blade in the ear and the full grain in the ear. Now, he's talking about wheat, which I don't, you don't know anything about. I don't know anything about. We know corn, right? We're Illinois people, so we know corn. So that's wheat. Corn, a very similar thing. If Jesus were using corn as the example, he would say, well, first it puts forward the little sprout, and then the stalk grows, and then the tassel forms, and then the ears of corn form after that. That would be the exact same thing that Jesus is saying right here. He's like, it follows an order. It would be like, you do not plant corn and just have full cobs of corn pop out of the ground sideways like this. Like, you, wouldn't, you, you don't drive past a cornfield and see that. That's not the way that it works. We know that as corn people. And Jesus is saying, no, there's an order here. And it tends to be in the Christian life, there are some patterns. And this is what I want to dive into a little bit tonight. Because I think I have a lot of people who come to me and say, I know it's mysterious. And I know that Christians say, read your Bible and pray but what does the Christian life really look like? And there are patterns in the Christian life. There are ways that it seems like people consistently grow. And so I want to speak some of those out loud tonight. And I'm going to be super structured when I'm doing it. What I risk, though, is you losing the beautiful mystery of Jesus partners, partnering in this in ways that we know not how. So I'm going to be very specific and structured tonight, but promise me you'll hear that one caveat at the beginning that's don't miss the mystery of the Holy Spirit doing a work in you. Don't cut that out of the equation that I'm about to give you. Deal? Oh, come on. Okay. So here we go. What do these patterns look like? What do they look like? Well, I'm going to mash up some different resources because there's a couple books that I read that were really good and influential 
Um, one of them by a guy named Don Everts called I Once Was Lost. And they did, him and a group of other researchers um, looked at a lot of people's stories across many different cultures. This is not just America. This is not just the West. And he found five different stages that tend to be the ways that people come to know Jesus. Okay? There's another book by Dan Spader called Four Chair Discipleship where he talks about growth that we tend to see as Christians. And so I've mashed all of that up in my own language, and I'm going to give it to you tonight. But I can't take credit for all of it because not all the thoughts are mine. But here we go anyway. And I'm going to use these eight chairs to illustrate as I go. Okay, this first chair that we're going to talk about tonight, not all of you started here, but many people do. Okay, and I'm going to speak in stereotypes, so give me a little bit of grace, because this may or may not apply to your story. But generally, this is what a pattern of growth looks like for people who are trying to figure out who Jesus is. And it starts in this place of either being skeptical of faith or being completely unaware of faith. And so these are the sentences that describe it. Either I am opposed to this, like I am against this God that you worship. I think you, you as a Christian are incredibly weird and odd. I don't want anything to do with that. Some people stand in that camp where they're skeptical. And the other side of this is this is irrelevant. So it's like maybe if you didn't grow up in a family that went to church or that, that ever talked about who Jesus was, you're like, I mean, I know that some people are religious. That's just really not for me. So a lot of people find themselves starting in this chair. Well, what's, what's the next chair? Where do you go to from there? For most people, says Don Everts, the next step for them is trusting a Christian. For most people who move from this chair to this chair, trusting a Christian is that barrier that sits in between those two. So you get to know somebody and you begin to see their faith, and that's where this looks a little bit different. Oh, I value our friendship. I know that you care about me. I'm not talking about developing friendships just so people become Christians. I'm talking about you develop a real friendship. That person gets to know you, and they say, oh, you don't fit my stereotype. I thought Christians were awful. I thought they were judgmental. I thought that they weren't generous. I actually see you doing all of those things. That's odd. So there's this inner thing of, oh, I have a friendship with somebody, but they don't hit all the stereotypes that I found myself valuing growing up. The third one, then, is they become curious about you and about Jesus. Why do you seem different? Who is this Jesus guy? Because in their interactions with you, they don't understand. Wait a minute, you read the Bible every day? wait a minute, your religion, like some of the decisions that you make in your dating relationship, have, they overlap with what you believe is a Christian? I don't understand. Don't understand. Like this is, this is alien to me and this is foreign to me. And that curiosity, I forgot to get out my chair, that curiosity um, begins to form a part of your friendship. And again, Don Everts is, is he's interviewing thousands of people cross-culturally. said, this is true in every culture. That m- for many people, this is the journey they find themselves on. Number four, they begin to be open to change. I see answers around me that are starting to make sense. So in this chair, this person is saying, okay, I have questions about my meaning and purpose in this world. And I'm beginning to see some of these things line up in your life. And it's beginning to make sense to me that there is a connection between what you believe in your life of faith and the life that you really live. And suddenly there's this one thought in this chair of perhaps there's some changes in my life that need to be made too. 
Next chair. Seeking. All right? This is kind of like this chair, except on steroids. All right? So this person in this chair is like, I need to find answers to these questions. I need to. All right? I, I understand that there is a question of, of purposelessness in my life, but in this chair, it's like I need to understand what Jesus said about this. Sometimes people will set up meetings with me where they're like, I, there are a handful of questions that I have that I feel like I can't sleep until I understand the answers to. Why did Jesus say this? Why, why does God think this? I, I was burned by the church. Help me understand that experience in my life. Or I, I you know, had a, a weird religious relative who said all these horrible things to me, and I've been carrying that pain my whole life. Help me understand this. And there's this almost desperation of, I need to make sense of this. All right? So these are the things that Don Everts would lay out are very common paths to faith for people, very common journeys that they find themselves on. And so it, at the end of this journey, they bow their knee to Jesus. I mean, this, this, this looks very similar to my story. I could put myself in most of these chairs. But at this space, this person says, you know what? My life belongs to Jesus. I'm going to surrender my life to him. He is in control. Jesus, take the wheel. I don't like that phrase really, but that's, that's the idea. You're in control, not me. My life belongs to you. I surrender it to you. And so when you get to this chair, I would call you a follower of Jesus. All right, but I'm going to, and I'm, all of these will be followers of Jesus. But in this, you're really a learner and a consumer. This is where a lot of people begin their life of faith. I absolutely spent years in this spot. And faith really in this spot is about me. My worship experience, my small group experience, my mission trip experience, my experience in general. I don't mean for it to be that way. And if this is you, I am not trying to insult you at all. Okay, I, I think in a lot of ways we all start in this space. But I have to tell you, it's a very me-focused space to live because it's, like, it's asking God to come into my story. Here's, let me, let me just tell you something for a second. I don't think that the church, and when I say the church, I include me, I don't think the church does a very good job expecting anybody to leave this chair. We, we hope and pray and beg and dream about people coming to know Jesus, and we act like this is the experience, that this is the end. Oh, you came to know Jesus? You know his grace? Awesome. And then we expect people to stay in this chair. You guys, this is not the space to stay in. Because faith is about me and what I want. If you struggle with being highly critical... Like you leave every worship experience and you're like, wish they could have sung this a little better or wish they could have preached this a little better or wish this would have looked differently. You may be flirting with this chair a little bit. I lived a long time in this chair. If right now you're sitting and just trying to judge everybody else, where, what chairs the people around you are at and not your own, there may be a chance you might be in this chair just a little bit. And again, I'm not trying to throw any rocks tonight. It's okay if this is where you're at. I just want you to maybe identify with it a little bit because there's brokenness in all of these spaces. Well, the next one's a little bit different, and I find a lot of people move through these chairs. The next one is a follower, 
I guess I would call it a servant leader. And it's a good space to be because Jesus told us that we're supposed to be serving and we're supposed to be servant leaders. But my faith becomes very much about doing. And you guys, (laughs) I put my identity in this one for a long time. Oh, if I can do the right things. If I can do the right things, if I, if I can go visit somebody in prison, if I can feed the homeless, if I can go on a mission trip, if I could be involved in Christian stuff seven nights a week, God has to love me. I must be a mature Christian if that's the case, right? Uh, I mean, it's not a bad way to live your life. This is not the identity necessarily, though. It's not the limitation that Jesus has called you to. Because after years of this, you begin to sense a bankruptcy of feeling like you just can't do enough to earn God's favor, which is not the core of the Christian faith. So is this bad or wrong? Is it wrong to be a learner and even a consumer? No, there's just a beckoning to grow out of that. Is it wrong to be a servant leader? Absolutely not. But that's not where the core of our identity is. And so the eighth chair that I'll give you tonight, though I could just keep stacking chairs, really, the eighth chair that I'll give you is a follower who's kingdom-minded. And the idea here is that my faith is centered around my being, my being, who I am in God, not just what I do in Him, or not how I judge others. You guys, you have met pastors and elders and leaders and volunteers who aren't in this chair. You have met people who have used the gospel of Jesus as a weapon or they've used their influence poorly. And I'm not saying they're not a follower of Jesus. What I'm saying is they're an immature follower of Jesus because that isn't what Jesus asked us to do. And like I said, the chairs go on. I put and so on at the bottom because I the chairs, this, this idea of us following Jesus and becoming closer and closer and closer to him, it just keeps going. And he keeps deepening our understanding of what faith is and who we are. All of life, and this is what I want you to get in that last one, my faith being centered around my being, I become a little more used to this idea that it's about who I am who I am. I am a child of the King. I am someone who has been rescued by grace, that on the days where I serve him, God is pleased with that obedience. And on the days that I forget and I come back to him and I'm sorry, he loves me just as much as he did that morning. And I don't have to run around in this dance of trying to impress God or improve or like I'm on this treadmill. And if he isn't pleased, then I fall off of it. It's not like that. It's like a tree planted by a stream of water that sends its roots down deep and doesn't fear when drought comes and knows who it is. I think that's what the Christian life is intended to look like. It's not me sitting and judging you. It's me saying, God, draw me into something deeper. Let me tell you what maturity isn't. Get the rest of my chairs out of the way here. Let me tell you what maturity is not. Maturity is not going into professional ministry. Maybe you look at this and you're like, oh, because Ben's a campus minister, because I have other friends who've gone into vocational ministry, that's what being kingdom-minded is. Oh, no, I'm not letting you off that easy, all right? If you're an elementary teacher in here, if that's what you're training to do, God has called you to that. That is your mission field, to love those people with the heart of the gospel. Being kingdom-minded in that is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful work. 
I pray that you're kingdom-minded in it as a follower of Jesus. You are a missionary in that classroom. You are a missionary to your family. That's what being kingdom-minded is. It isn't about earning a gold badge because you did something right over break with your family. It's about knowing as a child of the king that's who you are. So it's not. It's not about just going into professional ministry or becoming a leader in your, you know, our ministry or in your church or doing something else. Ministry is not, or sorry, maturity is not about knowing all the right answers. Some people think that. Oh, well, my friend, he knows a ton of Bible, all right? So he's mature. Maybe, or maybe he just knows a lot of Bible. Okay, Proverbs 18.2. This is a sucker punch. You ready for it? It says, a fool delights in airing his own opinions, but the wise delight in understanding. You guys, airing your own opinions doesn't make you wise. According to Proverbs, it actually makes you a fool. The wise, I think the further you go along this spectrum, the more humility becomes, begins to be a part of your life because instead of comparing yourself to others, you're comparing yourself to the Lord. You're understanding yourself and your identity in context to him. And that means I don't have to impress you anymore because I see myself as a son or a daughter of the king regardless of how you see me or how you think of me. So maturity is not about having all the answers. And the other thing I would say is maturity cannot be rushed. It cannot be rushed. You can't fast forward it. Some of you have great maturity and wisdom for your age, all right? It's okay to look at these chairs and be like, huh, there's a part of my life that looks like a consumer right now. Or, huh, there's a part of my life that I am serving God, but I'm doing it for the wrong reasons, and I got to do some business with the Lord over that. Or, huh, I'm beginning to be kingdom-minded, but maybe I need to surrender some more of that to God. It's okay. Maturity doesn't have to be rushed. Take that from the 48-year-old who hasn't quite gotten there yet, okay? What I want you to do when you stand back and look at these chairs, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see an invitation. You're here and you're in chair one. You are a skeptic and you're like, I don't, I'm, I'm here out of curiosity. I'm here as a favor to a friend. I'm glad you're here. I really am. No judgment. I am so glad that you're in the room with us. I am. But if you read in the Bible about Jesus' life, he just constantly had invitations for the people that are around them, that were around him. And I believe that for you, individually, each one of you, that whatever chair that you're in in this row, even if it's this last one, there's an invitation that Jesus gives you that says, come on, come on, there's more. There's more to discover. We can go deeper together. We can. We can grow deeper together. Again, married for 25 years, and yet on date nights, you guys, we still find out stuff we didn't know about each other. We still learn about each other. It's hilarious. So what does it mean for you to do that with Jesus, with that invitation that he extends you to be like, hey, you've come a long way. One more step. Come one more step with me. We're going to go there this semester together. I see an invitation for you here. And what's beautiful is, let's say that when I say that, you say, okay, Ben, I don't want to move. I don't want to move. I want to stay in my chair. My, my chair is good. It's comfy. I like it. I want to stay in that place. Um, okay. Jesus interacted with people like that. I mean, the rich young ruler, when the rich young ruler came to him and Jesus said, hey, here's what the invitation is. I want you to come follow me, but I also want you to go sell your stuff. 
It says the guy walked away sad. He wasn't willing to respond to the invitation at that time. And you know what Jesus did? He let him walk. He didn't yell out after him and be like, no, 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 just sell half your stuff. A third, 20%, 10%? You sell 10% of your stuff and come follow me. No, the invitation stayed out there for him, and it stays out there for you. But Jesus is a gentleman. He's not forcing your hand. It's not up behind your back. No, it's the invitation of relationship to you saying, let's go deeper. Let's work on some of those pains that exist in your life. Let's work on some of that lack of wholeness that sits in you. I want you to find peace. Jesus says, I believe to you. I want you to find hope. I want you to find meaning and purpose in this life. I want you to know that you're not alone in this world. I want you to know that there's a grander story that I'm sweeping you up in and that you are a part of. I want your eyes to see that. I want you to lay your head on the pillow at night knowing that no matter what message has been preached to you that day, that the God of the universe is like, no, son or daughter, you belong to me and we're okay. You and me. I want that for you. Jesus wants that for you. That's the invitation to you. So, one last thing I want to share with you, and that is this. Opportunities like this, some of you have heard me say this before, they're an appetizer, right? It's not really my job to feed you spiritually, a little bit, but it's an appetizer. It truly is. And some people treat it like it's not. So you come here on Monday nights, and this is where you get your Bible or where you get your word. Good. I'm glad you're here. It's just an appetizer. The meal is actually up to you. I can't do that work for you. Your small group is an appetizer of community. It's just a taste. You say, ah, I want it to go deeper. Good. I'm so glad. Take it deeper. Meet with people outside of your group. Pray for them. Take on their burdens. Let them take on your burdens. Create real community with each other. Dive into relationship this year in a way where you are, you are investing in the people who are going to stand up with you in your wedding. That's what it should be like. Dig deep. Take things deep. But this, what we are providing for you as a ministry, just an appetizer. Why? Because there's a deeper well that needs to sit between you and the Lord that looks like this. Right back to the beginning. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They're like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green. And they never stop producing fruit. Let's pray. Jesus, this is the picture that I want for me. It's the picture that I want for every person in this room. Uh, I want to be connected with you in a way where you draw me to those deep spaces. And so no matter what chair, Lord, each person in this room finds themselves in, I pray that you'd let them see and experience you extending your hand to them and inviting them to a deeper space. And be with us on that journey, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Find out more about Encounter and ways to get involved at isuencounter.org.